Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Certus, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail for Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You, have stood, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today's the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Thank you, Mario. God, thank you for this beautiful question. Nothing like a kiss from Mario. Um, he's Italian, so um, if you haven't noticed. Um, 
For those of you who don't know me, my name is Eric. Um, I'm one of the uh, pastors in training here. I'm an intern here. Um, some of you, as I talk to you, you, you call me, hey, what's up, Pastor Eric? Or, hey, what's going on, Pastor Eric? And I um, just want to let you guys know that while flattering, and it's a good sort of support for me getting a raise really soon, um, <laughs> it's not the case. I'm not one of the pastors here. I'm a pastor in training here. So, like I said, this is very flattering, but um, I appreciate I appreciate your guys' support, but um, I'm just an intern here, so. Um, but alas, we are in Acts 27, um, near the end of the book of Acts, and there's about two things that we, we know at this point. One is that the storyline of the majority of the New Testament that we've seen unfold is, is coming to a close, and second, that the life of Paul is nearing an end. And so just 20 chapters ago, we were introduced to a man who was this legalistic Christian murderer laughing at the, at the stoning of Stephen. And now we see Paul at the end of his life having been a part of a global movement of the gospel, only to be one boat trip away from meeting Caesar face to face in the highest court in all the land. And so at this point in his life, we look at Paul and we say, he has obtained the most unbelievable Christian resume ever. He was literally the guy who started the call in the book of Acts. He took it to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What more could he do? But yet, throughout his whole life, there's one thing that is, is common through every step of the way, and that's, that's suffering. There was not one moment in Paul's life where he didn't go through something, go to something, come from something, step into something where there was not suffering. And so Paul, in Acts chapter 27, as we just read, is caught in a storm on his way to Rome with a group of sailors and soldiers. The soldiers who were watching him because he was in prison. The sailors who were running the boat. And they're caught in a nor'easter, which is basically a hurricane. And everyone is fearing for their lives. If you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 20, we read, We neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. And so everybody on this ship, everybody on this boat that is setting sail to Rome thinks that this is the end of their lives. Experienced sailors, Soldiers who had, who had dealt with just the trials of being a soldier in that day. You're talking about men that were not afraid easily, thought that their lives were over, but Paul, in the midst of the storm, is poised. Essentially captaining this boat, telling people where to go and what to do. He has no seafaring experience. And he's in the middle of a hurricane. What, a, what an opportunity, right, to, to captain your first voyage. What an opportunity to be the one in charge, right, when everything is falling apart in the middle of a hurricane. And so this storm, that is just another one of the storms for Paul, represents all storms, represents all suffering for you and I. And so all the suffering that we go through in life could be called a storm. And so watching Paul deal with this storm can teach us something about how we deal with all storms. And so I would, I would like you to notice two types of belonging 
that I believe Paul understood in the midst of the storm. The, the title of our message today is called Belonging in the Storm. So there's two types of belonging that Paul understood that I believe that we can learn from as we face our storms. And so one is God's plan. Paul believed that he belonged in the moment. And the second is, is God's possession. He believed that he belonged to somebody else. And so let's take a look at, at the first one. We see God's plan. Paul believed that he belonged in the moment. From the beginning of Paul's Christian life, it's, it's made pretty clear that suffering was a guarantee. At Paul's conversion, he's promised suffering for the sake of the Gentiles. We read, But the Lord said to him, this is in Acts chapter 9, it says, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine before the Gentiles and all the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he, what? Must suffer for the sake of my name. It wasn't an option. It wasn't a second option. He must suffer for the sake of my name. But it's not just Paul. It's not just his calling. It's not just his purpose. We see that we also get some specifics in the Bible. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Basically saying, don't be, surprised, don't be shocked when stuff happens, when, when suffering happens, when, when your life is not going as planned, because guess what? As Paul was meant to suffer, so were you. Guys, it's, it's, it's cover to cover in our Bible. The Old Testament, we see Job, the most obedient man in the world at that time, was allowed to be tempted by Satan and had every, everything taken away from him. Except what? A complaining wife who he thought, man, if you took her away, I would be so happy right now. The only thing left. John the Baptist called the greatest man ever born to a woman by Jesus. Jesus doesn't lie. Paved the way for the ministry of Jesus and then was imprisoned and beheaded because of a stripper. David, a man after God's own heart, the king of Israel overcome by darkness in the moment, has a one-night stand with Bathsheba, kills her husband, and then plagued with fear as his son Absalom chases him down, tries to take his life. And Jesus, the only true son of God, a perfect and holy healer who came to seek and save the lost, murdered because they thought he wasn't the son of God. The entirety of the Bible from cover to cover is trying to show you that believing in God does not end well for those who follow a Savior who was murdered for doing nothing wrong. And I think some of us, after, after we, we have a long stretch of just kind of doing awesome in the Christian faith, we think that, you know, after 30 or so years of us just like doing kind of good, going to church sometimes. We think that God is just going to like hand us over like some island that he named after us and be like, yeah, you guys can go chill out there. Good, good job. Well done. And then the rest of our lives we can just sit there chilling out, not having to deal with any suffering, any pain. It's not the case. By the very nature of what we believe, we see that we belong in the storm but we also belong in the moment because it's God's plan for us. But yet, when storms come into our life, we're often surprised, aren't we? 
And I, I think generally we're surprised for two reasons. One, we, we cannot believe that a sovereign God would allow us to suffer. How could he, controlling everything, how could he allow me to suffer? But we also cannot figure out also maybe what we did wrong that would have caused these things to play out this way. There's something I could have done better. There's something I could have avoided. There's something that I could have changed and this suffering wouldn't have happened to me. And we usually either default to one or the other. Either I am 100% responsible for the choices that I make, therefore I have the opportunity to make the right decisions and somehow make God bless me, somehow put him in debt to me. Or God is 100% responsible for everything that happens, so there's no point in even trying for anything. It's either 0% us and 100% God, or 100% God, I'm sorry, 0% God and 100% us, right? We don't, we don't find that middle ground. It's either all me and I control my destiny, or it's either all God and it's pointless. And if it's all God, how could he? So I, I want you guys to notice something in this text. In the middle of the storm, Paul receives a vision from the angel of the Lord. And in verse 20, it's, it says this, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must, there's that word again, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. And so Paul is told that everybody on the boat will be saved because Paul is supposed to, he must, stand before Caesar, God's plan. Okay, great, right? Total win. I'm going to make it through the worst hurricane of my life. Awesome, sweet. However, later in the account, we see that the sailors are trying to abandon ship. The sailors, the captains, the people that are supposed to be running this thing are trying to abandon ship. And listen to what Paul says. Paul says in verse 31, he says, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. You see what just happened there? Paul was just told by an angel, everybody on the ship will be saved. You will make it to Rome. Your destination will be reached. And then Paul turns around and he goes, hey, don't leave the boat, guys, because if you don't stay on this ship, we will not be saved. Doesn't that contradict? Like, what, what is going on? Like, Paul, have you lost your mind? We're going to be saved. Why are you caring what people do? They could go snorkeling for all I care. They're going to be saved. God just said it. Why are you doing anything to try to take any responsibility? And so we know two things from how Paul responds to this. One, God is completely in control of everything. And two, our choices bear responsibility and have significance. And what we often see as one or the other is 100% and 100%. 100% of the time, our choices have real meaning and bear real responsibility. And 100% of the time, God is in control of everything and everything happens according to his plan. And so some of you sit here and you, and you may say, but I want to be 100% in control of my life. Do you? You really want that? You really want the decisions that you could have made 
as you look back in your life to, be, to come true? Really? That girl in seventh grade who you thought was the one because you like french fries together? That job you almost took that you know would have gone straight to your head? You would have never seen your family, but God closed that door? All the things in your life that you thought were going to make you purposeful and successful, that now you look back and say, that was crazy, that was bogus, that relationship, that job, that opportunity, what was I thinking? I guarantee you two-thirds of your life you look back and you say, what was I thinking? At the end of the day, you do not want to bear the responsibility of being 100% in control of your life. And so, notice this. In the midst of this storm, Paul is not passive and he is not panicked. So, he wasn't like, hey guys, it's all rigged. Don't look to me. God's going to save everybody. I don't care what happens. Passive. He also wasn't panicked. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? He was poised, right? He was calm. He was a leader, unafraid in the storm, offering encouragement to people, reminding people, captaining people. He was unfazed. And so the most comforting thing in the world is to know that your decisions carry weight and have meaning, but as you make mistakes, God's plan cannot ultimately be messed up. And so we should try to be Christ-like. We should seek out wisdom. We should seek out people older than us. And we should try to make the best decisions that we can according to God's will. But in the end, it will not prevent God's will from happening. How comforting is that? You can walk out of here and make mistakes and look back and say, that was God's plan. You are 100% responsible for the decisions that you make and the consequences they bear. But God is 100% in control of everything. God is in charge, yet what I do matters. Guys, but the second thing that we need to know when we truly understand that we belong in the moment because God's plan is for also what? Our good. We belong in the moment because God's plan is for our good. So here's what I mean. Guys, if you can hold on and make it through the storm, if you can hold on to the rudder, and make it through the storm, you're often closer to your destination than if it would have been clear skies, right? I mean, I think about the movie Castaway. It happens like nine times in that movie. But the second time where he's trying to get off the island and he builds this makeshift boat, right, after four years of being stranded on this thing, and he's trying to get over the reef, and he finally does, and this is like this joyous moment, right? And then a storm comes and completely tears off everything that he's built to try to get out and to find safety, right? He's bonded with this volleyball for like four years and like now it's floating away in the ocean. I'm sitting there like bawling my eyes out, trying not to have anybody see me because I'm crying over inanimate objects for volleyball. But, but what happens? He wakes up just sprawled out on his raft in the middle of the ocean, much closer to his destination than he would have been if he had just had clear skies. And so God will allow evil to intend something in your life, but will ultimately allow it to accomplish the opposite. Guys, listen to that. God will allow evil to intend something in your life, 
but it will ultimately accomplish the opposite. And so here's what I mean. Evil intended, right, for Paul to be a murderer of Christians. Ultimately what led to his salvation? Evil intended to use Paul's murderous past as a hindrance to his credibility. How could a murderer preach the gospel? But all it did was show that God's hand is not too short to save. If he could save a murderer, he could save me. Evil intended to stop Paul in his tracks after three failed church plants, but now he's known as the chief most church planter in all of the world. Evil intended to imprison Paul in Philippi, a Philippian jailer and his family saved. Evil intended to take Paul's life through a murderous mob, unfair trial, shipwreck three times. And in the process, we see that in this count, 276 people are saved because he must make it to Caesar. Evil intended to murder the perfect son of God, but was ultimately destroyed when he defeated death and rose again three days later. The sufferings of Paul, of Job, of Jesus, and other figures in the Bible have literally shaped the lives of hundreds of millions of people because evil intended to do something in their story, but God turned it into good. And so we experience these sufferings as well, right? The job that you faithfully work at every day, even though you don't get treated fairly. The boss who wants you to cut corners on your integrity, and you take judgment in order to persevere and to uphold your reputation before God. The mom who does all she can to be both mom and dad, not knowing if the job that she's doing is good enough. The person who wakes up every day in a living hell of chronic pain, not knowing when it's going to end. God is writing your story through suffering, and he's allowing evil to intend to do things in your life so that your story will aid in saving the lives of those who you are around and to further the gospel like it could never have before. He's using the suffering of Christians. He's using the suffering of you and me to make evil look foolish. And so you have no idea the story that is being written through your life. A hundred million people have written the, the book of, read the book of Job and been affected. Did Job know that in the time? No, he was writing a story, the greatest story on suffering that we've ever seen outside the cross. The story that God is writing in your life right now that you have no idea what is, what is happening, you can't comprehend it, is affecting people like you don't know. Your ability to suffer well as we see Paul suffer well. Has an effect on people that you don't know. And so this quote from, from John Piper, I want to read it to you. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. It says, God did not just overcome evil at the cross. He made evil serve the overcoming of evil. He made evil commit suicide in doing its worst evil. The cross was the ultimate setup, guys. I don't, I don't know if you, you knew that. Evil thought that it was murdering the perfect son of God. Evil thought it was getting away with something, but as soon as it was finished, it realized that Jesus had used their plan against them to successfully destroy them. And so the reason, guys, for the suffering in your life is good, but the opportunity that it presents is godliness because suffering does one of two things. It makes you better or it makes you bitter. 
Which leads to our second point. Right? The second thing that Paul understood was that he was God's possession. He belonged to someone else. He belonged in the storm. It was meant to happen. It was God's plan for his good. But he also knew that he belonged to somebody else. And so what's interesting about this account in Acts 27 is that Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, is on the boat with Paul. And so he's literally recording the events firsthand. And after not eating anything due to the severity of the storm, right, how could you, right, with all that seasickness, Paul reminds the crew to eat. He had to remind them to eat. Like, yo, guys, it's been days. Like, you got to eat. They're going to make it through. But he says, listen, and be encouraged. But, but pay close attention to the, the language he uses. In Acts 27, verse 34, it says, Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Now Luke is here, right? And so Luke, in his gospel, in, in, in verse 21, recorded a similar thing that Jesus said, Right? It says, but not a hair of your head will perish, but by your endurance you will gain your lives. In other translations it says, by patient endurance you will possess your souls. And so what Jesus is saying is this, guys. In the end, like in the end end, like at the end of your life, unless you suffer, you don't, you don't possess your soul. Guys, if, if you live for your job, and your job is, is everything to you, your job owns you. If, if, if anything happens to your job, it crushes you. If you live for your latest love or your latest lust, your latest relationship, that, that owns you. It dictates your, your, your contentment. It, it dictates what you do. It dictates your schedule. If you live for the approval of others, the opinions of others own you. You do not possess your own soul. So basically, if, if anything in life is more important to you than God, you don't possess your soul. And so what this means is that your soul, if your soul is, is so fragile that when these idols in your life get taken away from you, you become angry and bitter, and you lose everything, guess what that means? means that they can't satisfy. And so unless it's founded on something that can satisfy, you do not possess your soul. And so, guys, listen to this. The role of the storm in your life is often to crumble the things in your life that have mastery over your soul. It's to show you that when the rubber meets the road, the idols in your heart, the, thing that's, the things that own you, will not satisfy. And so question, is, is, is when, the, when the storm comes, is it a one-punch knockout in your life? Are you going along, going along, going along, faithfully, 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 and then bang, totally out for like five months, done. Don't love this Jesus thing anymore, not showing up to church, don't want to be involved, want to isolate, want to get... Is your Christian walk completely set off track by one punch, by one storm? Chances are, if that's true, your soul is captivated by something other than Jesus. And so while storms expose our true affections and give us the opportunity to grow in godliness, they don't always result in growth, like we said before. 
right? The same storm that grows one person makes another one bitter. And so how is Paul, at the end of his life, the person who has suffered more unjust things than anyone besides Jesus, able to endure a lifetime of trials and find himself, in Acts 27, the strongest he's ever been? How is Paul able to possess his soul? The answer comes in Acts 27, verse 23. It says, For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. Paul understood that his soul was not his own. He was in the possession of God. He belonged to God and he was his child. And so this understanding of his relationship with God caused him to surrender his soul to the one who could truly satisfy. We know that famous verse, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Self-surrender, guys, is always self-possession. Self-surrender is always self-possession. Meaning that the more we empty ourselves of me, the more you empty yourselves of you, the more your soul will be unwavering in the storm. Because guess what? You are not responsible for the possession of your soul. You realize that somebody else has possession of your soul and therefore in that moment, nothing can shake you because guess what? Nothing owns you besides the king. Essentially, you possess your life and your soul by giving up possession to the Father. So in this storm, we usually face things like God is punishing me or God is not there or Paul in this verse, do we see him do that? Do we see Paul, at the end of this, find himself questioning? No, we, we see Paul say, God is with me, right? We see Paul say, God, you, I belong to you. And so, the good news of the gospel, guys, is that if you believe in Jesus and you do good, he will bless you with a life that is, that is him. Guys, we think that the good news of the gospel is that if we do certain things and if we, we honor certain things with Jesus, right, he will give us a life that is smooth sailing. No. He is guaranteed that we will be in the storm. And, and the good news of the gospel is that we get him and that he's enough. So in the last two years, I've learned that the most important thing you can do as a family member of somebody who's going through chronic suffering and chronic pain is to simply be with them. People who are suffering daily chronic pain don't want to be told, hey, let me break down the theological components of how God is 100% in control and you are 100% responsible of your, of your choices and here's how this goes. You know what they want? They want a handhold. They want you to lay next to them in bed. They want you to just be in the room. Maybe cook them a meal. They don't want to be parsed through the theological implications of suffering. And so, so often we, we ask God and we say, hey God, give me an explanation. And you know what he says? If I gave you one, you wouldn't understand it anyway. So because Paul knew that he was with him in the storm, every trial brought him closer to a relationship with the Heavenly Father because it was the only thing that he could depend on. 
So how can we know when the storm comes in our lives that God has not abandoned us or that he's not waiting to punish us? In Matthew 12, Jesus calls himself the true Jonah. He says that just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, I was three days in the belly of the earth. But yet, one greater than Jonah is here. If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, Jonah was called by God to preach, preach repentance to, to Nineveh, a, a cruel and wicked nation. But his racist attitude led him on a boat to Tarshish in the opposite direction. And when the storm of God's wrath, an epic storm like this one, came upon their boat and he realized that his friends were in danger, he said, throw me off the boat so that I might save your life. So they cast him into the sea and the storm stops. The wrath that was upon the boat, stops. He's swallowed by a fish for three days. Guys, there's a storm that we all deserve. There's storms that come, that come to, to, to test us, that are, that are not direct responses to choices that we make, but we're all involved. We're all born into a storm that we deserve. We all fall short. We all sin. And so we deserved the storm of God's wrath. But Jesus was cast out in the storm and he was abandoned on the cross taking the full wrath of God so that you could be saved. And more than that, he came as a man bearing the shame, taking the trials of the earth so that he could identify and empathize with all of our pain. He's the true Jonah. He was cast out into the waters to appease the wrath of God so that he could bring you in, so that he could save his friends, so that he could, he could call you daughter and son. That's the God we're talking about. Not a God who's sitting up there and saying, well, it happened because of this. Not a God who's, who's saying and laying out things for you so that you, you might be able to understand it in your small understanding of even your life that's before you. He's saying, I am with you. That is so much greater than any explanation that he could ever give you. You're in the possession of him if you call him your savior. And so have you lost a child? God has. Have you been stabbed in the back by your friends? Jesus has. Have you been abandoned by your family? Jesus has. Have you experienced the most intense physical pain? Jesus has. Have you felt forsaken by your father? Jesus has. In the biggest storm of your life, Jesus threw himself overboard and took the ultimate punishment for your sin so that he could say that in your storm, he is with you and that you could say back to them, I know that you are with me. So what we need to understand is that God's plan for us, although not always how we see it going, right, ultimately is to work out for the good. Ultimately is because we belong in the storm. Ultimately is because we belong to somebody else. And so we actually see at the end the book of Acts, chapter 27, verse 35. Read it with me. 
It says this. And when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Sounds very familiar to what we say every week at communion, right? Sounds very familiar to the things that we repeat when God was in the presence of his disciples before he was taken up to the cross and he says, let me break this bed and, and take and say thanks for it before I break my body. Paul, in the midst of the tempest, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the most incredible suffering, was able to stop in prison, in jail, being stoned, being flogged on a ship and say, God, I remember what you've done in my life. God, I will choose to remember that you are the bread of my life. God, I remember that you came and you tabled with us. You tabled with your disciples and you said, I am the bread of life that will be broken on your behalf. And so what are those things in your life that remind you of God in the midst of your storm? What are those things when everything seems like it's going downhill? You're not even hungry for bread, but you know you need it. And Paul stops and he says, let's take thanks and eat this bread because it represents something that is so much greater than simple bread that keeps us going. It's the bread, it's the body of Jesus Christ who was broken on your behalf so that he could bring you near, so that he could call you friend, so that you could say, I belong to him. And it's only when we lose our souls completely into Jesus' arms that we have possessed our souls and nothing can come into our lives that can say, I own you, accept Jesus Christ. And so that's what Paul understood. He stood that there was a plan for his life, but he also understood that his life was not his own. And so what are the idols in your life? What are the things that own you that are keeping you from surrendering your soul to God? From losing your soul so that you can gain the riches of Christ? What are those things that are captivating you, that are keeping you down? Guys, is, is the gospel a part of your normal vocabulary? Is remembrance a part of your normal vocabulary? Is remembrance more than just communion as we take in a few minutes? Or is it something that when things come up, you, you're forced to remind as Paul was in the middle of the storm. He says, hey, I need bread, man. I can't go forward if I don't have bread. But we know that all, there was also symbolism for what? I can't go forward without my Savior. I can't go forward. I can't do stuff and expect that I'm going to earn something from God. I can't step out and do all this stuff, expect to succeed without knowing that God is with me. Guys, you often see in Paul's accounts that belonging comes way before action. That remembrance comes way before action. He understood that he remembered what Christ had done for him. And then he was quick to respond. You know why? Because remembrance stirs your affections for the things of Jesus. Remembrance helps you to lose your soul in the one, the only one who can possess it.
And that's Jesus. Because I, I would ask you, when the storm comes, why does it take you out? Why is it that the storms in your life are consuming you, if they are? Jesus has not promised just to give you an explanation. He has not promised simply to be there and say, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you make this decision? He has promised to be with you. And he went so far as murdering his own son so that he could have you and say, I will never let you go. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the truth that we see in the life of Paul who at the end of a life of suffering was able to praise you in the storm, was able to come out stronger because he understood that you had a plan and that he belonged to a king. May we step forward now into our lives, into our workplaces, into our schools, into our relationships, and be able to know that in the storm you are with us, God, and if we are, are Christians, if we believe that, God, that that never ends, that's eternal. God, and we pray that if that's not us here this morning, if we have no clue what that looks like to have a relationship with Jesus, we have no clue what that looks like to, to, to go through the storm, we pray that today would be the day that we surrender our souls to you and say, God, you're in control. I trust you. God, we trust you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.